Today, in our Bible study, we're going to meet some people who were filled with unspeakable anger and violence. They sought to destroy their own lives and the lives of others around them. They were out of control and they were uncontrollable. They hated themselves and the lives that they were living, but they didn't have the power to change. They were trapped and alone and helpless. But when they meet Jesus Christ, He rescues them from this nightmare that they are trapped in. Jesus saves their lives, sets them free from the bondage that they have been suffering under, and He gives them a new life. This story should sound familiar to some of us, since it's similar to our own, isn't it? Maybe not in detail, but certainly in substance. Before Jesus came into our life, we were self-destructive and harmful to others. We were angry and we were out of control. We didn't like the person that we were. We wanted to change. We wanted to be different, but we didn't have the power to change. And then Jesus Christ came into our life and He rescued us. He set us free and He began to change us. We aren't the person that we once were. We may look like the same person on the outside, but inside a radical renovation project has been underway, underway since Jesus took up residence in us. And when He finishes the good work that He has started in us, we're going to be breathtaking. Not all of this change is going to happen overnight. Some of it is going to take a whole lifetime, and then some. But it is happening, and it will be completed. We're given that wonderful promise in Philippians 1.6, where Paul writes, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And that promise fills our life with hope, doesn't it? As we stumble forward in this life, we are hoping in Jesus Christ. Well, you might be here today feeling like your life is out of control and destructive to yourself and others, and you want to change, but you don't have the power to do it on your own, and the person that can help you is Jesus Christ, and you will see that in this story today. So, Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, this story, it actually appears in all three of the synoptic gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew's account is the shortest of the three, providing the least amount of detail. Because of that, we are going to bring some details into the story from the telling of it from the other two books of Mark and Luke today as we go through it. But in verse 28, it begins this way. It says, When he, Jesus, arrived at the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. You might remember from last time in our study that Jesus and his disciples, they had gotten into a boat at Capernaum and they headed across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. While out in the middle of the lake, they were suddenly caught in this furious storm which threatened to sink their boat. The storm was so bad that the waves were being blown up and over and into the boat, filling it with water. It was a very dangerous situation. The disciples, afraid that they were going to drown, they woke up Jesus, who was sleeping in the back of the boat. And they cried out to him, Lord, save us! We're about to drown! 
Jesus, he got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and the sea immediately became calm. And Jesus asked the disciples, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? They had forgotten who was with them. And that was the big lesson from the story for us too, wasn't it? We need to remember who is with us. No matter what the weather of our life looks like, he is with us. Well, they've now made it safely to the other side of the lake, and this is where we're picking the story up now. The place they land is in the region of the, of the Gadarenes, which is made up largely of Gentile people, people who are not Jews. It's part of a larger Gentile region known as the Decapolis. At this point, we want to flip over to the Gospel of Mark and read a bit of the story as he tells it over in Mark chapter 5, verse 2. And Mark writes this, he says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. All right, we're going to go back to Matthew 8 now. Before we talk about this description, we need to talk about an obvious difference between Matthew's telling of this story compared with Mark and Luke's telling of this story. And it's this, that Matthew, he says that there are two demon-possessed men. Mark and Luke only mention one demon-possessed man. How do we explain this difference? Well, the most likely explanation is that there were two demon-possessed men, but one of them was the major character in the encounter, so is the one that is talked about in Mark and Luke's telling of the story. See, we do the same kind of thing all of the time. We will mention only the prominent person in a story we're telling rather than all of the individuals who might have been present. Example, I might say to you, hey, I bumped into Clint Eastwood downtown yesterday. He may have had a group of other people with him, though, but I didn't mention that because I didn't think it was that significant to the story that I'm telling you. Someone else might say, hey, I saw Clint Eastwood and his son, Scott, yesterday. And someone else might say, I heard there was a famous actor and his family in Sacramento yesterday. All three of those stories are true, even though the details that are given are different. Same kind of deal, same kind of idea taking place here. Well, using Mark's account to fill in some of the details of the story, as soon as Jesus steps out of the boat, he's met by these two very scary individuals. These men were terrifying to the people who lived in the area. But as we have seen before, Jesus, he chooses to interact with people that others avoid. Jesus is not afraid of these guys. He sees the deeply hurting people underneath the surface. These men lived in the tombs, it says, the cemetery of the day. The deceased were laid to rest in natural caves and tombs that were carved out of the limestone rock cliffs in the area. 
these caves and tombs. They would have provided good shelter for someone who chose to live there. It was also a natural place for a demon-possessed person to live since it was commonly believed to be a favorite place for evil spirits to haunt. Many people, even in our own day, have similar kinds of superstitions about cemeteries, don't they? They believe cemeteries are a favorite place for demons and ghosts and evil spirits to live. These men had been driven away from the society of other people because of their violence and unpredictable behavior. They've been forced to live alone, away from other people. Efforts had been made many times, it says, to control them, but they couldn't be subdued. It says in Mark 5, 3 through 4, that they had often been bound with shackles and chains, but they had wrenched the chains apart and broken the shackles in pieces. These men were very violent. I mean, their extraordinary strength made them a terrifying menace. Not only were they violent toward other people, but they were violent toward themselves. In Mark 5, 5, it says that they, would, they could be heard at night, crying out, screaming in pain, as they were cutting themselves with stones. Everyone in the area knew about the monsters who lived in the tombs. The horrible condition of these men were in is the same kind of thing that Satan desires for every one of us. He wants to enslave us and turn us into violent and destructive people intending ultimately to destroy us. That may sound extreme to you to hear, but who of us can deny that our world is full of violence and hatred? People abusing each other, taking unfair advantage of each other, killing each other. We might think that our enlightened age that we are living in, that this kind of stuff wouldn't be happening. But our world is as messy today as it was ever. It's all ignited and encouraged and fueled by spiritual forces of evil in this world. These forces are working to destroy us, inciting violence and hatred between us, pushing us to live selfishly, encouraging us to take advantage of one another, to cheat, to betray, to steal, to lie. Now we're responsible for our choices and actions, but there are these forces that are pushing and pulling us toward destruction. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, someone to consume. Now, the disciples that are with Jesus, it doesn't say, but they, I think they might be wondering if they have landed here by accident thinking they have been blown off course by this storm. I mean, this is a remote region that none of them have probably ever been through. This is a place that the, that the disciples would have all purposely avoided because it's Gentile territory. This is defiled land as far as they are concerned. And then these demon-possessed men who greet them when they land 
just serves to confirm their fears. They're probably thinking, this is definitely not where we were supposed to have landed. Do you think that's true, though? Do you think that they have been blown off course, accidentally finding themselves in this defiled land of the Gentiles? Now, if you know Jesus even a little bit, you should know better than that. There was nothing in the life of Jesus that was an accident. I believe Jesus has deliberately landed here at this very spot to interact with these very people that he finds there. Jesus came into this world to save people. He's on a rescue mission. And what we have here is another beautiful rescue by Jesus playing out. Jesus is still on rescue mission in this world. Some of you are among those he's rescued and are in the process of rescuing. He came to rescue all of us. He's throwing a lifeline to everyone. The question is, will we take hold of that lifeline? Well, in verse 29, the story continues. So what do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us? before the appointed time. Now there are some crazy ideas about demons and demon possession which are portrayed in movies and books and TV shows and video games. And a lot of that stuff is pure fiction. But what we have here in this story is the real thing. These tormented men, they throw themselves down at the feet of Jesus and the demons speaking through them ask Jesus, what do you want with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the appointed time? The demons, they know who Jesus is. They call him Son of God. They're obviously afraid of him. And they know they have no power over Jesus. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Not like, hey, did you come here to rumble? Let's get it on. It's more like, hey, you weren't supposed to wipe us out yet. It's interesting that they have some notion, don't they, about their eventual doom that's coming at some point in the future. We learn from Mark's and Luke's telling of the story that there are many demons possessing and tormenting these men. These demons refer to themselves as legion. And a legion was a unit of 6,000 men in the Roman army. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that there were 6,000 demons in these men, but there must have been a large number of evil spirits because they occupy a herd of some 2,000 pigs in the next verses. Verse 30, some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding, and we learn from the other uh, tellings that it was about 2,000 pigs in this herd. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and they went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. 
The ultimate intention of the demons for these men was their destruction. Jesus, he's prevented that from happening. So they go into the pigs and they destroy them instead. Now, a question that comes up is, why does Jesus allow the demons to enter the herd of pigs? Some might even think that Jesus shows an insensitivity to these animals here, allowing these demons to destroy them. Now, we can only speculate about this, but one thing that is obvious is that Jesus is more concerned about the well-being of these men than he is about the pigs. Jesus didn't destroy the pigs himself. He gave the demons permission to enter the pigs. What happened to the pigs was carried out by these demons. Now, in the end, we simply don't know enough about what was going on in this story and how the spirit world works to know why Jesus let this happen this way. I mean, it may have protected other people from being possessed by these demons. We don't know. It remains an odd element in the story, for sure. One thing about this part of the story that has always seemed odd to me is why the demons, who didn't want to be sent away, after going into the pigs, immediately proceed to run them over the cliff and destroy them, effectively sending themselves away as disembodied spirits. They effectively shoot themselves in the foot. Then I remember that stealing, killing, and destroying is all that Satan has on his mind. So what these demons do to the pigs is true to form. For Satan and his minions, they have a one-track mind to steal, kill, and destroy, even if it involves themselves, apparently. Now, if you're reading this story with a red-letter Bible, one that has the words of Jesus in red, it creates an interesting bird's-eye view of this story. Now, you see this with uh, a non-red-letter version of the Bible, too, but a red-letter version of the Bible really kind of makes it jump out at you. Matthew's telling of this story has just one word spoken by Jesus in the whole story. So there's just one little tiny bit of red in this story. Because there's only one word that he speaks. And it's here in verse 32. The word is go. Jesus is shown speaking a single authoritative command to these demons. Go, and they obey. I believe Matthew tells the story this way to emphasize the power of Jesus over the demonic world. Verse 32. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed man. So when those who were tending the pigs saw this whole herd rush down the embankment into the lake and drown, they fled the scene. They went into the nearby town and they told everyone what had happened. In verse 34, it says, Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. 
So when the people, they go out to see what all of this commotion is about, they can't believe their eyes. The same men who have been terrorizing their community, who couldn't be controlled, who had broken the chains and the shackles that were used to bind them, who have long haunted the nights with their blood-curdling screams, who have been the objects of the people's nightmares, these men, they're now in their right minds, dressed at peace, sitting by Jesus. But how do the people react to that? It says they pleaded with Jesus to leave their region. Mark's telling of the story says the people were afraid of Jesus. Luke goes even further saying they were overcome with fear. Why? Why are they afraid of Jesus? They're in the presence of someone with power that they don't understand. These demon-possessed men were terrifying enough. They had tried everything they could think of to subdue them, and none of it had worked. What are they going to do with Jesus, who has such power over these men? Jesus has power to command spirits, spirits that destroyed a herd of some 2,000 pigs. In the minds of these people, Jesus is very dangerous. Do you remember how the disciples responded to Jesus in the previous story when he calmed the storm? It says they were afraid of him. They had feared the storm, and then they feared the one who could control the storm. We have a similar reaction by these people. They had feared the demon-possessed men. And now they fear the one who could control the demon-possessed men. The people plead with Jesus to leave their region. They recognize a, a force, a power in Jesus that they don't understand. They just want him to leave them alone. And Jesus, he leaves as they ask. He doesn't force himself on them. He doesn't respond to them by saying, Hey, don't you know who I am? I'm the Messiah. I'm the Son of God. You better roll out the red carpet for me or else. He doesn't torment these people or frighten them any further. See, Jesus, he is nothing like the demons who had tormented these men, who forced themselves on them, forcing them to do terrible things to themselves and others. He's not like that. Jesus doesn't force himself on people, even though he has the power to easily do that. He is a gentleman in his dealings with us. We must want Jesus and invite him to come into our life. If you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that Jesus Christ will not force himself on you. Those who are Christians, they're not possessed people with their eyes rolled back in their head under the control of this mysterious force they call Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Jesus asks us to willingly submit to his authority, to obey him, to follow his leading. He asks us to willingly take on his lordship in our life. He doesn't demand it from us. He doesn't put shackles on our feet or a leash around our neck. He wants us to serve and obey out of love for Him. 
If you insist that Jesus leave you alone, he won't force himself on you. You should know, though, that he's not going to stop loving you and gently pursuing you. As long as there is any possibility of winning you over, he's going to keep pursuing you. He will. Now, some of you might be thinking, but Jeff, isn't Jesus coming back to judge the world and to impose his lordship on everyone? Yeah, one day he is, but not this day. Not this day. This day is the day of invitation and salvation. And it's being offered to all who will come. Now there's a, the rest of the story here that Matthew, he doesn't tell us. He doesn't include this last bit of the story. But in Mark's and Luke's telling of the story, we learn that these men who Jesus saved from these demons, they wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus told them to go back home to their own people and tell how much the Lord had done for them, showing them mercy and giving them a new life. Jesus tells us to do the same thing. He's told us to go and tell others how much the Lord has done for us, that he has shown us mercy, that he's given us a new life. We don't have to be a great evangelist like Billy Graham to talk with people about Jesus. Just tell people about what the Lord has done for you. Tell your story. Jesus, he's leaving this region as the people have asked him to. But he's not leaving them without a messenger. He makes provision for the people to hear the good news about Jesus by leaving these guys behind to tell them. And you know, Jesus, he's no longer physically present in the world. But he's made provision for people in our day, too, to hear the good news about Jesus through you and me. He's left us behind, in a sense, to tell others about him. We're his messengers. Well, in closing, Jesus Christ delivers these men from the terrible lives that they are trapped in. And Jesus gives each of them a new life, a new purpose, a new direction, a new future, and he wants to do the same thing for each of us. You might be thinking that your situation is not as extreme as theirs, and that's probably true, hopefully true, at least in one way. You probably don't have a legion of demons inside of you. But it isn't about the level of messed upness that we are. It's that we're messed up. And we can't pull it all together by ourselves. We're all broken. Some of us are more broken than others. But broken is broken. It doesn't matter if it's just a broken taillight and a few scratches down the side. Or it's a blown head gasket and a missing transmission. Broken is broken. We need God to help us, to save us, to rescue us from our self-destruction and the harm that we are inflicting on others around us. We need the Lord to give us a new life.
these men, they threw themselves at the feet of Jesus, hoping for his help, and he helps them. That's what he's asking from us, too. Be humble enough to ask for his help. Jesus has the power to change our lives. Ask him to do it, and he will. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this story that reminds us of your power to change people's lives. Whatever our demons are that possess us and keep us hostage, keep ruining our lives and the lives of others around us, Lord. Our sin and selfishness, Lord. We cry out to you and we ask for you to save us, to rescue us, to give us a new life, a new heart, a new nature, a new character. And Lord, we thank you that you've done that, that you are doing that, that you will continue to do that. We thank you that you haven't given up on us, that you continue to pursue us. We thank you for the awesome work you're doing in our lives, Lord. I ask you to bless your people today, Lord. Remind them of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.